everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Alright, good morning, y'all! You did it! You made it in. I was going to make this really cheesy joke about the fog, about driving by faith and not by sight, and then I decided that wasn't how I wanted to start the day, but here we are. I'm still starting the day that way. So good morning. Super glad you're here. My name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be together today, yeah? Yeah. All right. We are going to wrap up our series today on hearing God, and just a quick recap So we remember what we've gone through. We started this series the very beginning of the year, and Zach asked us this question of, what is it that you believe about hearing God? What do you think is possible when it comes to hearing God? And then he's walked us through hearing God through Scripture, hearing God through the person of Jesus, and then last week, hearing God through that still, small voice. And today, we're going to end with hearing God together with others. You know, my Christian upbringing, it was imperfect in many ways, but it held a few real treasures. And chief among them, for me, was this familiarity with and an expectation to hear God. This expectation, it permeated all facets of my community's life. We expected to hear him through scripture. We expected to hear him through the person of Jesus. We expected to hear him through that still, small voice. We expected to hear him through dreams and visions and honestly, by any means that God might decide to use. But we expected to hear him together. We expected that we would hear words from him through and with one another. That our closest friendships would consist of moments of prayer and listening and divine direction. We expected that we could have a real experience with the Holy Spirit during a Sunday morning worship service, and not just during the music, but during the sermon and the altar call and communion, yeah? We expected that he could whisper to us through creation. And I would eventually come to learn that this wasn't exactly common or that our particular understanding of how to hear God wasn't really the norm. And as a kid, I would find myself so confused as to why. Like, why wouldn't you want this? It's so simple, I thought. As I got older, I started to grapple with, like, you know, life. And the confidence that I once had in this ability to hear God, to hear him with other people, but to hear him specifically, it started to dwindle. And while there were many contributing factors It seemed like the very thing I was trying to do, to hear God with others, the very thing that once made me think it was possible at all to do this, was the very thing that made me doubt. People, people y'all, we are a tough lot sometimes, yeah? We hurt each other, we're not that great at listening to each other, we contradict each other, we contradict ourselves, and all of a sudden, I started to realize why this didn't really seem like the most reliable method to hear from the creator of the universe, you know, people? But, listening to God alone, that started to feel safer. If it was at all possible to hear from him, that would be the way to do it. Plus, my feelings are a whole lot less likely to get hurt if I don't include anybody else in the equation, right? It's just me and God. That's all I need. A lot of people seem to think that. 
I mean, there is so much Christian content available to us nowadays. I can get a a vast number of books on all kinds of different Christian topics by just clicking a button. Or I could hear a sermon from one of the best Bible teachers of all time, way better than me, by just clicking play. And I could journey on in life with Jesus, towards Jesus, all by myself if I wanted to. Maybe. You could do that. Many people do. But the fact that you're here today, through the snow and the fog and the ice, for whatever reason brought you to the seat that you now sit in, something about that tells me you don't buy that. And that's good. Me either. We were made to hear God together. We were not made to go it alone. And that is true for many aspects in life. That's true for most aspects of faith. But specifically hearing God, we were made to hear God together. But before we continue today, I want to address two potential elephants in the room. So to those of you who have felt like the the kicked puppies that Zach mentioned at the very beginning of this series, those who've been hurt by others, who were claiming words they said God spoke. You may not know me very well yet, and that's okay, but I want to tell you today that unfortunately, I am well acquainted with the unique kind of pain that comes from others wielding words like a weapon and trying to cut you down all in the name of God. And to you today, I want to say I am so sorry. I am so sorry because that is not the heart of our Father. Because it doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you, your heavenly Father so desperately wants to speak to you. And if you're not in a place for that today, that's okay. Maybe today can just be a small, maybe today could be a small step back in that direction. He wants to speak to you. And I can tell you from experience, he's willing to wait as long as it takes to do so. That's how much he loves you. And second, the second potential elephant in the room, a note for all of us, because I'm sure many of us, whether it was a deeply wounding event or not, have experienced the God told me so trump card, right? Like the, well, God said, so that's what we're going to do. But I'm just going to tell you right up front, like the whole point of today, everything I'm going to say, it is all going to point back to the fact that I just want to very humbly but honestly assert that that is not the way. We're going to talk about what is, that we were made to hear God together. We were made to discern, figure out God's will in community, humbly submitting ourselves both to God and to each other. And so today... We're going to look at three of the most common ways that we can hear God with others. This is not an exhaustive list. You'll certainly find an exception to the rule here, or you'll be able to think of something that fits into some of these categories that we're not going to get to. But in general, these are three of the most common ways to hear God with others. So they are in the order we're going to talk about them. First up, our closest connections Second, our communal connections. And third, our cultural connections. So for each of these, we're going to go first to Scripture. And then we're going to unpack how they work. Cool? 
All right, y'all, first up, our closest connections. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse 8. Scripture reads, There is one alone without companion. He is neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. All right, we're going to zero in here. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Church, I'm going to ask you a question. It's a potentially weird question to ask a room of mostly adults, but I am curious. Do you, do you have a best friend? Like a real best friend. Someone who gets you on a soul level. Not just somebody who like small talk isn't annoying, you know, or like you wouldn't mind going on a hike with them or something. Like No, like someone who really knows you. Someone who, who is aware of your insecurities, and speaks truth to them. Someone who knows that all too familiar turn your attitude will take and doesn't mind calling you out on it, you know? Someone who isn't afraid to get on their knees before the Father for you and pray when you don't have the strength to do so yourself. Do you have a best friend, a soul friend? Statistically speaking, many of us don't. According to a Gallup poll from two years ago, nearly 90% of Americans report having a group of friends of one to five people, which sounds cool, except that means 10% of Americans, that is an enormous number, 10% of Americans report not having a single friend. But of those who do, that one to five group of friends, many do not consider even one from that group to be a best friend. 59% of respondents confirmed that they had what they would consider a best friend, but for many, the single identifying factor in a best friend was longevity, which don't get me wrong, longevity is super important. We need that for deep connection, right? But I would just push back a little bit and say, you can be friends with somebody for a really long time and still be totally shocked when they announce their divorce. You can be friends with someone for a really long time and just be completely undone when they deconstruct their way out of their faith, our faith. You can be friends with someone for a long time and still lack depth, which makes me wonder how many of us actually really do have that kind of friendship, that close connection. You weren't made to go it alone. Two are better than one. This reality is woven into the very fabric of creation. Genesis tells us that it was not good for man to be alone. It was not good. He needed a partner, an equal, a companion to live life with. Because if you fall, who will lift you up? If it's just you, how will you keep warm? A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Of all the aspects of faith that I see the importance for these close connections, our best friends, hearing God is perhaps one of the most significant. 
There are many ways to seek the Lord with others, a couple of which we will talk about today, but the unique power that comes from a friend who knows you, who knows your faults and your failures, who knows your heart and your desires, your strengths and your weaknesses, and loves you anyway, and then leans their ear into the whispers of the Father concerning you, man, y'all, they just have access to a whole different kind of understanding. And even those who've gone before us, those who I think many of us would draw inspiration and guidance from, many of them didn't dare make big decisions without the counsel of their closest Jesus-following friends. A story that I think is an excellent example of how to seek the Lord with our closest connections comes from the life of Francis of Assisi. This is the Catholic friar who founded the Order of the Franciscans. He was seeking clarity around how he should pursue his calling. Francis of Assisi was unsure of how he should pursue his calling. He didn't know, like, okay, do I go directly to the poor and serve them, or should I kind of exclude myself from the world and pray for their needs? So he gathers this really small group of his closest friends, and he tells them his problem. And he asks, will you seek the Lord for me? And several weeks later, he gathers them all back up. Listen to this. He feeds them. He washes their feet. He clothes them. Then he kneels before them and asks, what does my Lord Jesus command of me? And this small group of friends, they say, the Lord Jesus says you should go to the poor. And he believed them right then and there. He believed that those were not just the words of his friends, but that those were the words of Jesus himself. And he obeyed. And thank goodness he did, right? Our world has never been the same because of him. Because of friends who listened and a man who obeyed. And look, I get it. I get why most Americans don't have these close connections. Friends like that are really hard to make. It requires time, longevity, like we mentioned before, but it also takes a good bit of vulnerability, a whole lot of authenticity, and a reasonable assurance of trust and safety, which all things, by the way, we humans don't seem to be very reliable with. It's a risk. It's hard to make these kinds of friends. But friendship is inextricably linked with the way of Jesus. In John 15, Jesus proclaims a deep love for his disciples. He says it's the same love his father has for him. He says that it is this love that moves them from servant to friend. And living together for three years, I mean, one can imagine just how well they knew each other, just how much they had seen of each other living and traveling together for three years. And on multiple occasions, we see Jesus taking his three closest friends with him to pray. One of these times of prayer is the night before his crucifixion. Matthew 26, starting at verse 36, says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him. He took his three closest friends along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Jesus, the Son of God, looks at his three best friends and says, stay with me. Two are better than one. Threefold cord is not quickly broken. If even Jesus in his darkest hour needed his best buddies, then I think we are probably not exempt, yeah? We weren't made to go it alone. We were made to hear God with others. We were designed for close connections. And we were made for community too. So we're going to move to our second one now. This is communal connections. And we're going to look at Hebrews 10, starting at verse 24. Just two verses here, 24 and 25. The scripture says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, friends, I'll be real honest. I had a hard time narrowing down the options for our scriptural basis as to why it's important for the body of Christ to gather. In the letters of the New Testament, there are 15 occurrences of scripture that command gathering, encouraging one another, building each other up, spurring one another on as an essential part of our spiritual life. And then there are even more if you count the ones that talk about the specific ways we're to do that. But while researching the data on friendship, I stumbled onto a study more specifically tailored to the church. Super interesting. And it would suggest that many of us, most of us, don't necessarily agree with the New Testament authors. A Barna study from 2022 specifically focused on friendship and discipleship among Christians showed that 46% of Christians actively involved in some kind of discipleship community still viewed their spiritual life as entirely private, with an additional 10% of Christians not actively involved in a discipleship community agreeing with them. That's over half of American believers. 56% of American Christians believe that their lived out faith is entirely a personal endeavor. And do you know what that tells me? It tells me that we have reduced church to a social club and Christianity to just one more path to personal fulfillment. Which I'm not saying either of those things are inherently bad, but in our faith life on their own, they are at best wildly insufficient. The gathered body of Christ in all its many and beautiful forms, from modern churches like ours to systems of house churches sprawling throughout a city, life groups, Bible studies, coffee shops, liturgical churches like our Lutheran friends down the street, to the hidden churches in Iran and China. We are a divinely connected group of people made to walk out the illuminated kingdom of God. And when we gather, however we gather, the voice of God speaks. The voice of God speaks. Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, first of all, this guy is incredible. You should read that book. But he says, the word of God is everywhere in worship. In the call to worship, we hear God's first word to us. In the benediction, we hear God's last word to us. 
In the scripture lessons, we hear God speaking to our faith parents as those who've gone before us in the scriptures. In the sermon, we hear that word re-expressed to us. In the hymns, or in the songs, which are all to a greater or lesser extent, paraphrases of scripture, the word of God makes our prayers articulate. Mm. Every time we worship, our minds are informed Our memories refreshed with the judgments of God. We are familiarized with what God says, what he has decided, and the ways he is working out our salvation. Friends, we are more than a social club. This is holy ground. You want to hear the voice of God? Don't give up on each other. Don't give up on the church. And by the church, I don't just mean Sunday morning gatherings, but I certainly don't mean less than Sunday morning gatherings. Come hear the words of God dripping like honey off of every part of our worship services. Then let that sweetness fill you up so that then you are sweetness dripping off of you and encouraging one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. And as you do so, don't be afraid to let God whisper to and through you in it. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. The one who prophesies, let's get super clear, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. I can feel the nervous tightening of chests already. (laughs) Maybe it's just mine. Uh, that's okay. Like, gosh, you just say tongues and prophecy? Oh my gosh. The good news is we're only going to talk about prophecy, so it's super easy breezy. We're just going to move right through it. <laughs> but before I say another word, I just want to get super clear here, y'all, that the very few minutes I'm going to spend on prophecy are not nearly enough time to one, defend it, or two, even scratch the surface on understanding it. But when I sat with how we hear God in community, particularly in the church, just with who I am, it felt negligent not to mention it. So if you're hungry for more, me too. Find me after service. Let's grab coffee. It's going to be great. If you think I'm nuts, I am. That's okay. That's all right. But the first thing to understand about prophecy is that it is not something to be afraid of. The very faith that those of us who follow Jesus have built our lives on is itself entirely built on the past fulfillment of and the continued fulfillment of prophecy. But (laughs) the second thing to understand, 
is that prophecy is notoriously ill-defined. And because of that, people get hurt and it gets a bad rap. So we're just going to do ourselves a favor real quick and we're going to reframe it a little bit. Prophecy at its most basic is proclaiming the true word and heart of God. That's it. Proclaiming the true word and heart of God. The big things that sometimes scare us, like predicting the future, having dreams and visions, being given a word or a picture for your life or the life of another, these things are absolutely possible. You can totally get there. But far more often, prophecy is the ordinary, everyday moments that God leads you into loving one another on his behalf. That's it, friends. And do you know what that looks like? Encouragement is what we've been talking about. It's what was in Hebrews. It's what strung through the New Testament over 15 times. That is why prophecy is so primary. So if we become a practitioner of encouragement, we'll find ourselves aligning with the good, true, and prophetic word of God. And so a really good way to start this, to become this practitioner of encouragement, is to use a couple of guidelines that Pete Gregg, he's the the founder of the 24-7 prayer moment, he talks about this filter, the ABC filter. So when we hear things, when we want to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, he says, is it A, affirming? Is it B, biblical? And is it C, Christ-like? And if you can check the box on all three of those, let's go. Let's love one another on God's behalf, right? Because I just, I really don't think that if like if something you're hearing, like, man, I just really feel like I need to tell Steve Williams this, and it lines up with all three of these things, but God didn't like in that moment tell you that, I just don't think he's going to be mad at you for loving each other, you know? I think he's so with you on that. I mean, could we all agree that it is the heart of the Father to tell Mike Krieger that I love your haircut today? (laughs) It looks great. Well done. Or that Jacob Brown has the friendliest smile I have ever seen. (laughs) Tell him. Y'all better tell him. Or that I can hear the love and the care that goes into every one of our pastor's sermons. Or that Kathy Williams' commitment to her church surely puts a smile on the Father's face. Go. You hear it, Kathy? She's probably working somewhere. You got to tell her that one later too. We weren't made to go it alone. We were made to hear God with others. And we do so through our closest connections, through our communal connections, Finally, we're going to look at our cultural connections. Let's look at Psalm 19. We're going to start with verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Friends, everyone and everything around you is brimming with potential for the Lord to speak. Creation cries out for its maker, whether it knows it or not. 
And we've spent most of our time today discussing what this looks like with other people. But there is something distinct about hearing God through something that is decidedly other than ourselves. Because whether we have eyes to see it or not, the truth of God is bursting through creation. It is bursting through all things that have been, are being, and will be created, whether it may seem inherently spiritual or not. Several years ago, Disney put out an animated movie called Onward. Anybody? Yeah, all right, yes. My family and I watched it, we love it. We've watched it a few times. And it's this movie about a world full of mythical creatures, and this world was once filled with magic, but after centuries of technological advancement, magic is kind of obsolete or unneeded. And the story focuses on these two teenage brothers, they're elves, it's great, and they've stumbled onto these magical artifacts that once belonged to their late father. And with a spell, these artifacts enable them to bring him back for a short period of time, except One of the artifacts breaks in the process of this spell, and only their father's bottom half materializes. (laughs) Hilarious. Yes, kids eat that up. I eat that up. So funny. So, these boys and their father's bottom half go on this huge adventure to replace the broken artifact and to bring their father back before this spell wears off in just 24 hours. Classic. Such good story writing. In the end, they're successful, but only partially. As the younger brother, who never really knew their father, sacrifices his chance to see him to ensure that at least the older brother gets to see him fully materialized, even for just moments before he's gone again. And at the end of this movie, tears are streaming down my face, and I'm holding back like these heavy sobs. You can ask my husband, bless sorry, but tears are forming in the eyes of my oldest. And why? This dumb movie about elves is revealing truth about the heart of God. Truth about sacrificial love, about appreciation for life and family, and even subtle hints of what happens to people when they substitute technology for what their souls really need. Pete Gregg, who I mentioned earlier, says, any paradigm that systematically divides sacred from secular, locking God in the church and the world in the pub is a violation of the incarnation. Y'all, that's intense. Listen to that. A violation of the incarnation and fundamentally sub-Christian. And man, y'all, I happen to agree Let us not limit the spirit of God because of our own fears and insecurities. The earth is the Lord's. The world is the Lord's and everything in it, the psalmist says. Isaiah says the whole earth is filled with God's glory. What would it be like to have eyes to see it? Holy Spirit, would you help us be people who have eyes to see it? So then how do we train ourselves to see him or hear him in the world around us? Especially when we consider the valid concern around the work of the enemy in our culture. I get it. Well, first, I think it's wise to acknowledge that this is deeply personal and subjective. 
Each of us have various levels in which we are able to engage the world around us for all sorts of reasons. Something that might bring one of us to the feet of Christ might offend another, and we all have to allow the other to live into freedom. Now, this does not mean that we have a free pass to sin under the guise of freedom. Paul's super clear about that in Romans 6. But Paul also, when writing to the Corinthians about a deeply concerning behavior to them, eating food sacrificed to idols, he ultimately sides with freedom. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 29, for why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? <laughs> Let's read that again. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. There it is, y'all. That's our litmus test. Is this for the glory of God? Can I thank him? Can I give him glory for this with a pure heart? For the lyric in a song that made me think about my spouse and led me to gratefulness. Can I thank him for his voice through a work of art, a breathtaking novel, a well-cooked meal at the table of a friend, or the dazzling beauty of a cotton candy sunrise. We can find his voice in the eagle that soars overhead, and we can hear him speak through a children's film that somehow brings us to tears. Somehow, some way, like the psalmist says, creation has its very own language. God is speaking just have to be open enough to receive it. In the words of the Victorian poet, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, earth's crammed with heaven. Gosh, I love that line. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. Man, y'all, blackberries are great, don't get me wrong. But that's not what I want. I want the presence of God. I want the voice of God. Hearing God. Hearing God is the most important thing you can learn to do. Zach started this whole series off with that quote, and we're going to end with it today. Hearing God is the most important thing you can learn to do, and we can trust it in community. And if we want to do that, if we want to be people who discern our lives with our closest connections, with a soul friend, if we want to be rooted in a community, if we want to hear the familiar voice of our Father through our culture, then the way to start is to be a people who pay attention. We must be present not allowing our lives to happen to us, but to be an active agent in partnership with the Holy Spirit and the internal, that's internal and external movements of our life. We must be open to those who are already around us, the communities we already find ourselves in, and the culture we are already a part of. 
So maybe you don't have this close connection, this soul friend we're talking about. That's okay. Let's pay attention. Is there someone you seem to keep bumping into, someone for whom that small talk we talked about earlier isn't particularly annoying? You know, my, my soul friend, my best friend, she feels as connected to me as my right arm. And apart from my husband, who's great, I love you, but apart from him, she is the one I cannot wait to call with good news. When I got this job, she was the first person I called outside of Ben, outside of Ben. She's the one I need to talk to when the world feels like it's falling down around me. And she's the one that helps me pick out clothes to wear because she knows me better. She sees me better than myself. It all started because we just were bumping into each other everywhere we happened to be, church and life group and kids events. And then we just decided to be more intentional with that. Now she's a part of me. Maybe you don't feel connected to a community. So let's pay attention. What community do you already have right around you? And I don't necessarily mean discovery, though not a bad choice. It's a great place. But your neighborhood too, school groups. Where do you find yourself? And if it is discovery, we happen to have several groups launching this month. And maybe, maybe they could be the right fit for you. Maybe that could be a place to start. And you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. Maybe you struggle to hear God at all, let alone through the culture and the world around you. That's okay. Let's pay attention. What are you already drawn to? Music, film, books, video games, nature, photography, what seems to call to you? Because I just wonder if it's possible that maybe it's more than just you and your preference. Maybe it's this, this image of God part of you that calls out to the things in creation that are calling out to God themselves. We weren't made to go it alone. We were made to hear God together, to be close enough to pick each other up when we fall, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds by being practitioners of encouragement and to find the threads of God throughout the world around us. Holy Spirit, would you help your people to learn to hear you? It's the most important thing we can learn to do, and we can trust it in community. Amen. Amen, friends.